Between those years, way back then, the Baptist Church became the largest Christian organization in the United States. And they did it without a seminary. They did it without any mission organization. It was individuals in individual churches going out and sharing their love for Jesus Christ. They became the largest Christian church in America. Then for the next 25 years following on to that, the Methodists did. And you know how they did it, don't you? Lay pastors. Now, the Congregationalists, the Episcopalians, and the Presbyterians all said they should have not been doing it because they were untrained, unskilled laymen, and they had no right to be preaching. Know what I say about that? Fooey. I could use other words, too. Untrained, unskilled. They had the love of the Lord in their heart, and they saw other people that needed Jesus Christ, and so they said, I'm going to go make a difference in my world. Oh, boy. Let's see. Um, To the best of my knowledge, there's only three of us in this room who have had a full theological education. Four. Four of us. I almost forgot my wife. That does not make us the only ones who can say good things about Jesus. You all can. Church addition. Okay, you learned a couple of things when you were little tiny kids in school. Addition and multiplication. Which one makes the bigger difference? Multiplication, right? Church addition will take place when our new pastor comes if we say, okay, we can just sit back now and let him do all the work. Church multiplication will take place when we decide, nope, we're going to keep going just like we've always been going. And we're going to be there with him all the way along. I asked Mike Crowley for permission if I could use his name for a moment this morning. Because he's been leading a men's study uh, on the middle of the week now for a couple of months. And uh, one of the things he had the guys do a short while ago was do a spiritual gifts test. And I hope that one of the things that came out of that was that they saw that they're all different that they all have different gifts and graces. And because they've got different gifts and graces, they have different ways they can minister. Talk louder. Are we coming up? Oh, he says, now he's got me. That's a good thing. I want to read some scripture this morning. I don't know. Yeah, I've got it up here. Church edition, church multiplication. Here's the scripture that I want to read with you this morning. It's found in Colossians chapter 4. And uh, if you want to read it in whatever version you have, uh, you can look at it there. But I'm, it's a fairly long. I normally don't do long readings. You've noticed that through the decades, right? But this is a longer one, and I want to do it this morning. And it's, a, it's almost boring because it's saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's using different names, but it's the same story. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how I am doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that is happening here. Aristarchus 
who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark. I wonder where Mark is. Does it sound like he's in prison with him too? Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one they call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are only these are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. I wonder where they are. They must be in prison too, huh? Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha in the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so that they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. I find that a fascinating phrase. He's asking the other members of the church to talk to another person in the church to say, uh, would you please get on and do what you were told to do? And then I've got it in capital letters because a lot of my professors told me when I was studying Colossians, Paul always had an amenuensis, in other words, someone who would write for him because Paul was so crippled up and such a beaten to death happily, uh, that he probably, at the end of this letter, by the way it is written, he probably wrote that this one little sentence, and it's probably in huge letters at the end. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul. He probably didn't actually physically write the other part. He probably spoke it and somebody wrote it down for him. And then he said to his amanuensis, may God's grace be with you. Paul was surrounded by people who are not well known to you and me, but they were willing to help Paul and to help the church. There was a, a love that went both ways. It went between he and these others and the church. It was just this, this circle that was going around. Now, one of the things, you know, I, I kind of bring it out while I was reading it. Um, to be a friend of Paul probably meant you would be in prison. That's um, mm, swallow hard. I'm going to be a friend of Paul means I am probably not going to live the high life. I may end up in prison like him. So these people who he writes about, their care and concern for Paul is really obvious. Now, some of these people, as we read, were prayers, some were givers, some were messengers. They came from different backgrounds, they had different temperaments, and it's an awful lot like Loudon New Beginnings Church of the Nazarene. We're all different people. We have different gifts and graces, and we can do different things. We have 
dozens of different people here this morning who have different abilities to do the Lord's will. Back a bunch of years ago, Julie and I got to go to a conference with Gary Smalley. You may remember, some of you have been around the church a while, there were two guys, two Christian psychologists, Trenton Smalley, who wrote a bunch of books and did all kinds of wonderful things for a long time. And somebody picked up the tab for Julie and I to go to a, a conference with Gary Smalley. And he based an awful lot of the about three-day conference we went to around one aspect of their ministry that they try to help people understand that we're all very different within the Church of Jesus Christ. And he talks about some people are beavers, some people, and I don't mean Mike and Cindy, um, some are lions, some are golden retrievers, and some are otters. Now, here's the way I might explain it to you. This is not how he did it, but it's really, well, it is kind of how he did it. Um, you're a beaver if if you get upset when I mess up one of my slides. Some of you get a little why did he do it that way? Or why, when the worship team is doing something, why don't the words line up? You're a beaver, probably, if that happens. You are a, well, let's, let's look at the golden retriever. You're a golden retriever if you say, oh, big deal. It doesn't really matter much. If he screws up the slides, it, it'll just go on. Everything will be the same. You're an otter. If all you're really thinking about when the slides are up there is who you're really going to go out to lunch with afterwards when I finally quit talking, that's who you are because you're the people person and you're just floating around in the water. And you're the golden retriever. That's, oh no, I already did the golden retriever. The lion, that's the person who always knows what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how it needs to be done. And if it's not your way to get it done, it's my way to get it done, and so it's going to be done my way. And the golden retriever would say about the slides, I can do it better than him. And so if you're one of those people, I'll send you my outlines every week and you can do it, okay? There you go. Different personality types. Now, I want to let you know, one of those people up there is Julie. One of those up there is John. And they are not the same personality type. Not even close. Mm-hmm. She's smiling back there. You are sitting next to somebody whose personality, whose temperament, whose gifts and graces that the Lord has given them is different from yours. And the church of Jesus Christ needs all of us. It really does. In the, this letter that Paul wrote, he wanted to make sure that the people around him got the credit. In fact, he wanted to make sure of it so much that he said, I want this letter to be read publicly, and I want it to be read in other churches, and I want the letters that they had to be read to you. I need you to be a part of my support team and to realize that there are others on my support team as well. We are in this together, he was trying to say. Now, I don't think that there was ever a day in the Apostle Paul's life that he saw people around him as unimportant or insignificant. He saw them as incredibly important, that he couldn't get along without them. Over the last seven months that I have been in here as your interim pastor, I have recognized that fully. There's no way in the world we would have come as far as we've come without all of you and without others who are not here and they're in the other building right now and 
They're out there. Some of you are still out there. We are in this thing together. Paul recognized, John recognizes, it takes all of us to be on the team to make it happen. I don't know how many of you are fans of NCAA basketball other than myself. Julie and I returned to this country in the summer of 1975, went to our first church in the autumn of 75, and just in time for the college basketball season to get started. And uh, during the autumn of 1975, I got introduced to Syracuse University basketball in the old Manly Field House before the Carrier Dome was ever, well, it's not the, it's now it's got another name on it, before that big dome was built, the JMA Dome. And I got to be a real fan of college basketball. And I remember the NC2A tournament at the end of that season, and I remember who won and how they won and everything else about it. The only time that Marquette University ever won the NC2A tournament was 1976. Al McGuire was their head coach. They had three players who were really outstanding players. The number one player on their team was a guy who went into the NBA, and it wasn't Fred Klittick. It was uh, Butch Lee. Butch Lee was a son of Puerto Rican immigrants. He came as a little tiny, almost a baby and lived in Harlem, and he thought he was the most important player that ever hit the hardwood. He really had a pretty good opinion of himself. And Al McGuire tells the story of in Butch Lee's senior year of sitting Butch down and making this sort of a statement to him. Butch, basketball is a very simple game. It lasts for 40 minutes. Each half, 20 minutes long, but each team gets the ball roughly for 20 minutes. Butch, at any given time, there's five players on the, on the court, and each one of them, therefore, gets the ball for about four minutes. Butch, I know what you can do with your four minutes, but it's what you can do to help the others with their 36 minutes will make all the difference in how we play as a team. Thank you, Al McGuire. We now know why he went after that into broadcasting, because he was able to inspire and help others as well. Yogi Berra. His yogiisms. He was once asked, what makes a good baseball manager? His answer, good players. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. What makes a good church? Good players. What makes a great church? Great players. People who come alive for the Lord and do what the Lord asks them to do. Now, I'm up to this one here. It says, now, not, not all of these people, you would say, were really qualified, and you might almost say the same thing about your, yourself. 
Um, some of these people really, you would almost want to say, didn't fit in well into ministry. I, uh, I have run into people throughout all of, my, all of my years of pastoral ministry who have said things like, I can't do that. You don't know my history. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Yeah? Lord does. Has he forgiven you? Well, yeah. Then maybe he has a job for you to do. Maybe he has a role in ministry for you. I think that's one of the things Paul is saying in the scripture that we read. Look at all of these people, and some of them are from some pretty awful backgrounds. The Living Bible puts it this way. God does not use me because I am flawless, nor does he reject me because I am flawed. As I willingly obey him and allow myself to be used, God accomplishes his work through me. Okay. I like it. I think I can get on with that. So what kind of people did Paul use to to minister around him? Well, the first one was this Tychicus that he lists here in verses uh, 7 and 8. He was one of two people who it appears that accompanied Paul everywhere he went. It doesn't always list his name, but he was always there with him. Wherever he went, he was there. Now, uh, trying to remember exactly. I wanted to say one more thing about him, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, he was the representative. This was a day before cell phones and email. It's somewhat before those days. And so he's the one who had to tell everybody about Paul and where he's been and where he's going and what he's doing. So that was that was Tychicus. Then there was another one. Uh, his name is Onesimus. You all know a little bit about Onesimus, don't you? I can remember one of my professors donkeys years ago just waxing eloquent about Onesimus and literally a professor standing up there and crying, talking about how God had taken this man who was a slave, a runaway slave, who stole from his master and tried to hide everything and how he was forgiven. professor's name was John Balchin, a man who impacted my life. Onesimus was someone who failed unbelievably, but God changed him. Don't say God can't use me. How about John Mark? We don't know what happened on that first missionary journey that Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark went on. All we know is is that Mark quit. And Paul struggled with that. When Paul and Barnabas were going to go on the second missionary journey and Barnabas said, I want to bring John Mark with us, Paul said, over my dead body, he's a quitter. He's a loser. Now, Paul says, Mark is helpful to me and my ministry. What did something happen? Something was different there. Epaphras. You know what it keeps saying about him? He prays for you. 
He lifts you up in prayer. I don't know how much any of you all know, but little tiny Pastor Isabel lifts you up in prayer. Probably more than I do. Epaphras labored earnestly for you in prayer. And then we have Dr. Luke. These are the people that Paul is listing in this this letter that we've just read. Julie and I have a, a, a young girl that we know, well, she's not that young anymore, I guess, uh, who's married to a physician. They've got money coming out their ears. I think if we took, you know, this whole section and this whole section and this whole section and put all of your salaries together, it wouldn't make as much as he makes. He's a thoracic surgeon. Luke, probably, Dr. Luke, could probably have made that kind of money, but he travels around with Mark. I don't know if any of you were in at what they used to call Congress, that the Evangelistic Association of New England used to do in the Heinz Center. But I can remember one of the speakers, a lot of years ago now, <laughs> trying to paint for us a composite. His whole message over 45, 50 minutes was painting a composite of what Paul probably looked like by the time he wrote this letter, physically what he looked like. He'd been shipwrecked, he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, all of the things, and what his body looked like, broken. Probably just about every bone in his body at some point broken. Possibly an eye missing. Just awful. He needed Luke, the gifted physician, with him, and Luke is there. Gives up his practice of medicine to take care of someone that the Lord would have. I've given you a title, but I haven't mentioned it before. I mean, it was on the first slide, but I haven't talked about it. Enough love to keep them warm. Well, what does that mean? What does that have to do with any of this message? Well, it has everything to do with it, I hope. And I hope I can wind it up in about two minutes, three minutes at most. I believe that God is willing and prepared to give us people, to give us persons in these seats who may come to these altars and give their hearts to the Lord in the next few months if we have enough love to keep them warm. To do that before our new pastor comes, but I believe we'll have a new pastor in here for Palm Sunday and Easter and all of those wonderful days when I think that it'll be so much easier I shouldn't say easier, but I'll say easier, to share God's love with people. The title is not mine. Some of you who are old, long-time Nazarenes will recognize it. Maybe two or three or four of you in the room might recognize the name of Reverend Chick, Dr. Chick Shaver. Oh, yeah, a couple of people might go. Uh, Dr. Shaver for 40 years taught evangelism at Nazarene Theological Seminary. Going back now in his life, before those days, he was from the Watertown, New York area, was his home. 
He got a full scholarship to Dartmouth. He was not a believer. He happened to have a college roommate who happened to be a Nazarene boy, who we don't know anything about, really, except he led his roommate, Chick, to the Lord. And Chick Shaver became an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene and taught evangelism at NTS for 40-plus years. I had Chick come and come as an evangelist back to his home church back a lot of years ago. I don't remember much of his sermon. I remember his title. His title was, Does This Church Have Enough Love to Keep New Believers Warm? He actually ended up writing a little, little tiny book with that title as well, as I recall. I don't have it, but I seem to recall it. One of the things that Dr. Shaver said in that message that I have never forgotten, it's the only thing in it, well, I remember the title and I remember this one thing he said. When people come into the church, they're not looking for a friendly church. And I went, what? Yes, they are. He said, when people come into the church, they're not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend. Paul had people all around him who were friends because he was a friend to them. He led them to the Lord. He cared for them. Didn't care that Onesimus was a slave, was a runaway, was a thief. He didn't care about somewhat that, that John Mark had failed him once. That was in the past. What are we going to do now? Enough love to keep them warm. I got ten more things I want to say, but I'm not going to do it. It's just this. We'll close with this thought. Will we be the kind of church that has a reputation for growing babies into mature Christians? I'd almost like to ask for a show of hands, but I, I'm not that bold. But will you do your part? Pray with me for a minute, would you please? Father God, I love this church. That means I love these people. I know you love this church, and I know that means you love these people. Lord, I'm going to ask that you would uh, lay on each one of our hearts the need of living this thing called the Christ life of maybe forgiving someone that we need to go and forgive, of maybe going and encouraging someone that we need to encourage, of maybe being like that one that was listed here who just was the mouthpiece for Paul, who wrote the letters, who took the time to invest in other people's lives, because there were times that Paul just couldn't do that himself.
And Lord, when our new pastor comes, he's going to be so busy trying to learn the ropes that some of us are going to have to continue with ministries that we've taken on that's made us very busy. But we're going to keep doing it because you've laid it on our hearts. Lord, I pray right now for the Church of Jesus Christ that meets at 33 Staniels Road. The Church of Jesus Christ that then disperses from 33 Staniels and goes all over this part of this wonderful state of New Hampshire. Help us, Lord, to be your voice, to be your face, to be your love. Father God, I bring these things in your name. Amen.